0: Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org.
1: One of the things that we're going to do as we kick off this ministry year together is that we're going to have a series that we're going to begin today, a new series that we've called FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions About Christianity. And over the next 13 weeks or so, our senior pastor, Bruce Hess, and myself will be guiding us into a look at many of the questions that we frequently get about our faith. Now, I don't know if this situation has ever played out for you, but it certainly has played out this way for for me, where someone will come and they will ask a question about the faith to me. And at times, at different seasons of my life, I've, I've not really had a good answer for the questions that were brought. Sometimes the questions are very basic, but very huge and important, like, is there really a God? Sometimes the questions get more specific. Okay, there might be a God, but certainly there aren't such a thing as miracles in the Bible. I mean, the fish really didn't swallow that man, did it? The flood didn't really kill all of humanity except one family, did it? Uh, Those kinds of questions, the questions about the existence of God, questions about the uh, plausibility of miracles. Questions about the reliability of God's Word. Can we really trust it? It's full of fairy tales, right? Questions even about the gospel itself. Is it really as simple as just placing our faith in what Jesus has done? That seems too easy. And what about those who've never heard about the gospel? Is Christ really the only way to salvation? Um, These are some of the questions that get asked us. And, And, you know, if we're honest, at times we've fielded those questions as we have engaged in spiritual conversation with others. And because we didn't have a good answer, we left that conversation less confident to ever talk to anybody about spiritual things again. We wanted to steer the conversation away from spiritual things in the future because we don't like being asked questions we're not prepared for. Um, There's others of us here, though, that have questions ourselves about the things of God. Have questions ourselves about Christianity and even though we frequently ask those questions in our own mind, we've never really brought them up as a part of Christian community because we're afraid of what everybody else would might think of us. Well, over the next 13 weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into these questions and we're going to explore what some answers are to these questions as we have a dialogue back and forth with you over the 13 weeks of this series. We'll be addressing those questions. And really, we're going to begin looking at specific questions on September the 8th. But in the days between now and then, three Sundays, this Sunday, next Sunday the 25th, and Sunday, September the 1st, we're going to kind of have a prelude to this series. We're going to talk about some things we think are important to lay a context for how we might apply the principles and the questions and the answers that we're going to look at in the latter part of the series. And today, we're going to begin that prelude by basically reflecting on what does God think of those who ask questions? What's God's heart? What's His attitude towards those who are far from Him right now and who have a thousand questions with no answers? What's God's heart towards them? And furthermore, what is God's heart even towards us when we ask questions of Him? What's His heart towards us who are questioning and who are seeking? We're going to reflect on that today uh, by looking at the book of Luke, chapter 15. But before we get there, I want to just have an opportunity for us to to hear a personal story, for us to hear a testimony about a wonderful woman of God named Kristen Chang. Kristen and her husband James and their family have been a part of Wildwood for a few years now. And when they had first come to Wildwood, I believe it was back in 2010, right? that right? Yeah, 2010. When they first had come to Wildwood back in 2009, 2010, um, I remember hearing bits and pieces of their story about how God had worked. And I remember thinking at that time, this is a story that must be told in our our congregation that we might be able to celebrate um, God's faithfulness and his provision for this family and and how he saw them through. And as we kind of zeroed in on this date in this series, we thought that today was the perfect time and so thankful that that Kristen and James were willing to share their story with us. So please join me as we, we hear about Kristen Chang's story.
0: My name is Kristen Chang, and I am one life that God has passionately pursued. I had a beautiful singing voice. I was um, born with a gift, a gift that over time um, I practiced and perfected my singing eventually led me to pursue a college degree in vocal performance and music education i loved singing it was um very much a part of who i thought i was and how i saw myself and singing was was a way in which i could connect and enjoy and worship my creator and my god it had become something that all of my identity was wrapped up in and, um, and it was something that I thought honestly I couldn't live without. So part of my study of music was not just individual solo singing, I had the pleasure of being in many ensembles, one of which was a choir and we would often tour, sometimes internationally. Um, at the end of one of our tours we were on our way back from Germany in the summer of 1999 and our plane crashed on landing in Little Rock, Arkansas. It was in the middle of a terrible thunderstorm. There was lightning and hail. Um, the plane skidded on the runway, hydroplaned off, went down a huge bank of rock, slid across the mudfield, and eventually came to rest um, very close to the Arkansas River, which was swollen um, in a huge flood because of the unbelievable storm. The plane immediately broke into three pieces and uh, caught on fire. There were around 130 people on board and um, most people miraculously got out because the plane had broken to three pieces people were able to climb out of fissures and tears and holes and um, I was um, one of the last living people off the plane. I do remember um, being in the burning wreckage with a couple of of good friends, starting to choke on the smoke and the heat of the burning jet fuel and feeling my skin begin to melt and my hair burn and slowly suffocating on the floor of that plane and and thinking, okay, like I I know I love Jesus. I've followed him most of my life. I I am going to go to heaven, but this really hurts, and why can't I just die? Why does this hurt so bad? I remember waking up in ICU on a ventilator and I was in ICU on a ventilator for about a week um, I had two skin graft surgeries I was in the hospital for nearly two months in Arkansas before I returned home to Oklahoma to continue my healing it was a really hard time it was a really breaking time physically emotionally spiritually and I found myself living at home with my parents um, not even able to brush my teeth or fix my own hair because of the burns on my hands and the continued surgeries and the agonizing physical therapy that I was undergoing daily. Just thinking, where are you, God? <laughs> like, you, you say that you love me and that you're a kind and gentle father, but everything in my life right now is, is screaming at me otherwise, that, that you are not good that you are not good, that you are not powerful. And if you are all-loving, then you can't be all-powerful. And you, you are all-powerful, there's no way you're all-loving because these things don't go together right now. And why would you allow these terrible things to happen to me? And I remember being in church one Sunday. My parents so faithfully took me to church, and it was all I could do to even get myself to go. And I remember sitting there, and the pastor was preaching out of 2 Corinthians, the first chapter. And he was referencing about all the trials and the hurt and the hardship that we go through. It's not, it's not for us. It's for the benefit of others that, that the comfort that we receive from him in the midst of our pain and our sorrow, he will use to comfort others. And he he will be so faithful to, through us, through us, be the God of comfort to other people. And I just remember holding my Bible with my burnt hands in my pressure garments and challenging God in my heart, just thinking, there is no way you can ever make good out of this. This is so painful. This is so terrible. This is, so, this is such a great loss. Everything in my life has just been turned upside down and broken. And I dare you to try to make good out of this because there's no way that I think that you can I couldn't reconcile in my own personal life the, the faith that I had been taught and, and the experience I was living. I My life was so confused and so dark and I, just, I felt so abandoned by God. I felt betrayed by Him. I remember praying deep groaning prayers and just feeling like my prayers bounced off the ceiling. I remember begging Him to show up and begging Him to, to be real to me again. I guess it was about a year after the plane crash that um, James and I realized that um, I would never sing again. Um, The damage from the smoke and being intubated and being on a ventilator um, left permanent scars on my vocal cords. So not only had I been through this unbelievably traumatic event, injured physically, um, I had this deep wounding of a complete loss of purpose. A complete loss of my identity a complete loss honestly of um, what I thought God's call on my life was and I remember God so clearly one day um, interrupting my thoughts it wasn't something I heard with my ears but um, him saying to me Kristen are you gonna stay here forever and I um, it stopped me in my tracks in that moment I realized how I was stuck really really stuck there and that unless I Reached out for help, unless I reached for him. I would never, ever be free of my anger and my bitterness and my resentment. And I would never be whole again. And it was in that moment that that it was just so defining that he began to to show me that it it was never what I did for him. It was never the beauty of. A song of my vocal cords, but it was um, he hadn't changed and and even though my life looked different that um, he was still the God the same God yesterday today and forever and um, I just needed to continue to reach for him and all along I know he was pursuing me about two years after the plane crash um, I started volunteering in uh, the burn unit that was local to the place where James and I were living. And I will never forget um, the experience of walking onto a different burn unit, but back onto a burn unit um, for the first time. At that very moment when I just about started to lose it and turn and run the other way, a man walked out of a dressing change room and he was covered in gauze from the waist up. And I thought for the first time, Oh my God it could have been worse and it really was a prayer it really was a realization to God God this could have been it could have been so much worse and for the first time I had I'm sorry to say but I had compassion for somebody else instead of just feeling sorrow and pity for myself and that was a major spiritual marker that I, I can almost physically see just God setting up a flag and saying, we will move forward from here because you finally have you finally have eyes to see other people's pain instead of just commiserating about your own. And from that day on, I began volunteering in a burnt unit and working with other burned individuals and began to taste the joy that could be had by walking side by side with somebody that had experienced something similar. And already, even just so soon after, I mean, two years that felt like a really long time, God was taking me up on my challenge and starting to show me that time heals and He alone can truly restore and heal. He can indeed work beauty from ashes, that He can indeed bring good from sorrow, and that He can indeed use every experience in my life to to minister to others, to hold out the story of his faithfulness to other people in order to let them know that he's after them just as fiercely. His love for them is just as amazing and deep and um, his passionate pursuit of them is just as hot as it was after me. I love the picture in the scriptures where Jesus looks out over the multitudes and it says that he's moved with compassion and um, that he looks out over a crowd of people and weeps for them. But I also love how so specifically Jesus himself shares the, the parable about how The shepherd leaves 99 other sheep to go look for the one. And the widow that loses the one coin that is so precious to her stays up all night long and sweeps every corner of her house looking for the one. I can honestly tell you that if you are walking with the Lord, well, even if you're not, He he is after you. And He is so faithful to bring exactly what you need at exactly the right time.
1: Please join me in welcoming up James and Kristen Chang. You know, I, I had the privilege of sharing this with you um, for service, but it, it's it's still still true today. Um, Kristen, you have a beautiful singing voice then, and you have a beautiful voice now. Just praise God for you and. Um, you know, one of the things that I've, I've heard you say as you've reflected on this story is how, um, you know, God, though he took away your singing voice, he wants you to be a voice for those that have no voice. And part of that has led you to be involved with an organization called War International. Uh, tell us a little bit about what War International is and, and your involvement there.
0: Um, it seems like a big jump to go from volunteering in a burn unit to um, being an advocate for survivors of human trafficking and exploitation. Um, But that's exactly the program of healing that God has had for our family. So what started in a burn unit with me realizing, wow, this could have been a lot worse and and having God break my heart for them. The Lord has brought us on a journey and through a series of events has um, led us to partner with a ministry called Women at Risk International. Um, which goes by War International. And the purpose of Women at Risk International is to be a voice for those whose cries are silent. Um, survivors of, of this and preventative and raising awareness and helping people understand the complexity of these situations. How this is something that happens right across the street and it's something that happens all around the world. And um, this this is where God would have us as a family right now in a major part of what we do as a ministry.
1: Wonderful. When in War partners all over the world, and one of the things they do is they provide um, these young women who come out of this this uh, human trafficking situations. they provide them a way to make a living, and they sell those products at places like our gathering hall this morning. Exactly. So maybe share with us a little bit about that and sure. the connection and how we yeah. can get involved.
0: So if you came in through the gathering hall, you saw that it's been transformed, at least one half of it, into sort of a boutique. And um, that is what Women at Risk does. It um, offers product um, that is made by or in support of women um, and children that are at risk or survivors of this issue. Um, so everything you see out there, 90 cents of every dollar sold goes back to the program from which it came. The major premise of Women at Risk International is that we don't want to give people a handout That is very disempowering, and it just says, well, you can't take care of yourself, so now somebody else will but to give them a hand up and to teach them a trade, to teach them, to, to give them education, to give them, most of all, rehabilitation um, through a four-step process, rescue, redeem, restore, and empower. And that is done through the the power and the good news of, of Jesus Christ alone, because that is the only way that true restoration can ever be taken, that can ever take place. But um, so if you were going to do anything to support this ministry today, go out there and buy something but there's other ways that you can support there's an information um, table at the front it's a red tablecloth you can't miss it but there's lots of ways that you if, if this is an issue that god would move in your heart and your family to, to partner with i will do my best to find a way that suits you and your giftedness to to participate in some way
1: thanks guys hey, i would love to to pray for you um, on behalf of all of us so let's let's pray father god thank you so much for the chang family. Thank you that you have pursued them. Thank you that you have um, just waited patiently with Kristen through the questions and that you have cared for her and provided for her um, comfort at this time. And, Father, thank you that you have redeemed her life and and the purpose of her life as you have channeled and focused it in, in a different direction. Father, thank you for your love for her, and thank you for how we are able to gather around her today and hear her tell her story and celebrate your faithfulness and your goodness. Father, thank you for James and just his friendship as well. And Father, I just pray that your, your many blessings would be on this family and that you would guide them and help them to remain a, a faithful, strong witness for you in this community and around the world and that you would bless the ministry of war as a process of that. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, I, I love uh, hearing Kristen's story. Um, I love us having a chance to kick off this series by hearing that story because you probably heard at the beginning of her story a series of questions that she had in the midst of reconciling the circumstances of her life with the truth that she had been taught. And, and all of us uh, at times go through seasons of questioning. And what we want to do over the course of these next number of weeks is we want to reflect on those questions. And again, today we are reflecting specifically in kind of a prelude to that series about the heart and the character of our Heavenly Father. How does he respond? How does he react when we have questions? What does he think about those who are even far from him who have questions about him? Well, Jesus told a set of stories uh, they're in the Bible language they're called parables. Jesus told a set of stories that that helped focus on um, just what god's heart is towards the one who is questioning and today we're going to look at Luke chapter fifteen verses one to ten and we 're going to see what the heart of our heavenly Father is towards those who are questioning um, what his heart is towards us what his heart is towards those who are even far from him. So we're going to look at that today from Luke 15. Now, if you know anything about Luke 15, Luke 15 is actually a chapter of Scripture that has three stories, not two. Uh, Three stories Jesus told to illustrate one point. The, The third of the stories that Jesus shares, verses 11 and following, is the story of the prodigal son. We're not going to look at that today, instead focusing only on the first two stories that Jesus shares, but all three stories basically illustrate a single point about the heart of the Father towards those who are struggling, those far from Him. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 15. So if you have a Bible, open up to Luke 15. We're going to look at the first ten verses in our time today. Luke 15, beginning in verse 1, this is what it says. This is setting the scene for us. Says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him, the him being Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. This is a, a common scene in the ministry of Christ. Jesus was attracting an audience. He was even welcoming an audience, which wouldn't have made the preferred invite list to most itinerant preachers. Jesus was attracting to himself tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and and people that, that weren't very nice by most religious standards of the day. And so as they were coming together, they were crowding out and even some of the people like these scribes and Pharisees, and they didn't like it. And so the scribes and the Pharisees began to grumble and say, why does Jesus always hang out with all of these lost people? And so Jesus tells a a set of stories in chapter 15 to help answer the question why he was always hanging out with those far from him. Verse 3 continues as Jesus begins to tell these stories. It says, so Jesus told them this parable, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country And go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance." is basically highlighting the heart of our Heavenly Father. He's highlighting the heart of God, and he's doing it by comparing God to a shepherd or to a woman. He's doing it by comparing God to the shepherd who has a 100 sheep, and 99 of them are still right around him, but one sheep wanders off, and that shepherd leaves the 99 sheep and pursues the one to bring it back into the fold. He said, that's like our God. Why is Jesus hanging out with the lost? Because our God is a God who seeks the lost, even if it's just one. He compares God's heart, God our Father, to that of a woman who lost a coin. Though she had nine other coins, she lost one coin. It might have been a part of her wedding dowry. And this woman lights a lamp and looks all night searching every corner of her dark, dim house, searching for that coin. And the point is that that is what our heavenly father is like. He will search out the ones that are lost. And I think that that is the the point of the parable is the heart of the father. The point of the parable of the prodigal son, which we didn't read, is the heart of the father. But why did Jesus tell these stories? Well, Jesus told these stories about the heart of the father because it's very easy for us who are found, to use the found as an excuse to forget about the lost. It's so easy for us who are found to use the found as an excuse to forget about the lost. And so Jesus tells these stories to highlight the heart of the Father and invite us to join Him in His passionate pursuit of the questioning, His passionate pursuit of the lost. Um, that seems to be the, the big point of these parables. Now, the question we ought to ask ourselves as we reflect on this is, why is it that the lost are so valuable to God? Why is it that, that God would, would go to great cost and to great expense to, to seek after the lost? Why is it that Jesus would leave heaven and come to earth and eventually die on the cross in order to seek and to save the loss. Why is it that he would spend his time hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes instead of spending time with the religious folks? Why is it that the shepherd leaves the sheep and goes and looks after the one? Why is it that the woman, though she has nine coins, goes and searches after the one? Well, I think there's three things we see, at least, from these stories that tell us why it is that God values One. The first reason is because the lost are valuable. The first reason is because the lost are valuable. Though the shepherd had a hundred sheep and 99 were still with him, he reorganizes his day, he reorganizes his life to go out after this sheep because the one sheep is valuable to him. Why is it that the woman? seeks after that one coin. Well, she has nine others, but you know what? The tenth one is missing. That tenth coin is valuable to her. It has significance and purpose to her. And so she goes after it. Why? Because it's valuable to her. The same thing is true of God. Why is it that God continues to seek after the lost? It's because the lost are valuable to Him. They're His children. They're created in His image, and He longs to bring them close I'll give you a story that maybe helps to, to cement this a little bit for you. I, uh, One of my, my uncles and his wife have six children. And with this large family, they would go on summer vacations together. And when you have a family of six kids, eight total, mom, dad, six kids, you would frequently go on these trips in a car. And so they're driving on this vacation. If you're ever gone on a long vacation, long car trip, at some point you end up at Love's. And you get out and you go in, you use the facilities, you get some refreshments, you fill up your car with gas, and then you go and hop back into the car and you take off down the road. And it's the objective of every dad in that situation to make that turn as fast as he can. Uh, guys, we watched NASCAR to figure out how to do this better. Um, but, but my uncle was no different, and so everybody goes in, the eight get out of the car, the eight go into the store, the eight come back out, the, and seven get back in the car and take off everybody but Kenny. And uh, my cousin Kenny is just hanging out back at the gas station. Now, that part is a true story. What I don't know, the apocryphal part of this story is that as it's told by my cousins, they all say they turned and waved at Kenny as they drove off. (laughs) I don't know if that really happened or not. Um, But needless to say, Kenny was left at the gas station and the van drove off down the road. Now, they get about four or five miles down the road, um, hopefully not further, and mom turns around and counts, and we came up short, one Kenny. Now, what did they do? They turned around and went and got Kenny, right? Why? Because they would have been arrested otherwise. Um, But also because Kenny was their kid, right? They're not gonna go, you know what? We had a good run. We already have five other kids. Um... (laughs) I'm sure there's some nice person in Gallup, New Mexico that could take care of Kenny and he could live a wonderful life there. No, they didn't do that. They turned around. They pulled a U-turn. They went back to get Kenny. Why? Because no matter how many other children they had, they didn't have another Kenny. You know what? That is the heart of our God. Why is it that God doesn't get satisfied with the found and use them as an excuse to not seek the lost? Because there's some Kennys out there he's going to pursue. I'm so thankful that God did not stop after he saved Phil and Muriel. I'm so thankful that God didn't say, you know what, I already have Phil and Muriel, therefore I don't need Mark. Because the heart of God is for the lost, he continued to pursue me. I'm glad that he didn't just need a mark because I would have been out in the Gospels, right? (laughs) One of the writers was a mark. God pursues individuals. He cares about them because they're created in his image. The lost are his children. And so he will turn the car around and passionately pursue them because they are valuable to him. You know what, every individual in this room, God would turn around and come back for you. You know why I know that? Because Jesus came to this earth, and Jesus went to great cost to pursue you, even all the way to the cross, to die for your sins, be resurrected from the grave, because that is how much God wants to be with you. You're his child. He is passionately pursuing you? Why is it that as believers in Christ, we we should not be satisfied with the found around us and we should seek after the lost, whether they're in Norman, Oklahoma, or around the country, or around the world? It's because lost people are valuable. And so we should not use the found as an excuse to not seek after the lost. It's, It's really easy for us to do that as Christians. I'm a pastor. I'm surrounded by found. And yet the heart of God is for the lost because they're valuable. Second reason why God pursues the way that he does is because of the finding joy, the finding joy. You know, in both of these stories, there is so much joy that is expressed over the lost that is found. When when the sheep is found, the shepherd lifts it up on his shoulders and says, look at this sheep. And he calls together all of his friends, and they all get together and they throw a big party because this one sheep that was lost is now found. The woman who lost the the, the coin searches all night and finds it and calls together her friends and says, guess what? The lost coin is found, and they come around her and they have a big party. And in both of those instances, it's a picture of heaven. It's the picture of the angels. It's the picture of the true followers of God. There is joy when a lost is found. You know, we we know this is true. Think of the last person that you know in your circle who has done a 180, the last person you know who went from far from God to close to God, who went from rejecting Him to receiving His truth. Think think about the the feelings and the emotions you had when you heard that they were now among the found. It makes your heart leap, doesn't it? There's an excitement that comes with knowing that somebody who was lost is now found. That's why when when Bruce and the team from Latvia shared their story uh, a few weeks ago about how in the orphan camp that we led there this last summer that there were 50, 60-plus kids that that trusted in Christ, we celebrated. Our our hearts leaped a little bit. Why? Because they're celebrating. There's a joy that comes when a lost is found. I think back to when I was involved in college ministry, there was a uh, a young man that that I met, and he had a bunch of questions about christianity, and we would we would meet and we would we would talk about these questions and he was kind of you know kicking the tires and walking around the edges of the faith and I still remember the day that he came over to my house and and he we started talking about these other questions, and he said, "Is it possible for me to to have a relationship with God if all of my questions aren 't answered?" And I said, "I hope so because I still have some questions that aren 't answered." And and he said, really? Yes. And we, we sat there and we, had to, we got to pray and he trusted in Christ. I still remember the, the leaping of my heart. That's been years now. I still remember the leaping of my heart at that moment. Why? Because there's a joy that comes when the lost are found. Why is it that we should not be just so satisfied with the found that we use it as an excuse to be involved with God's plans and reaching the lost? Well, one reason is we need to remember that they're valuable, but a second reason is we need to remember the joy that comes in the finding. Third reason why God would passionately pursue as a motivator for us is because the lost thing needs help, because the lost need help. You know, the sheep that wandered away was in real danger, The sheep that wandered away was at risk of being devoured by wild animals. The sheep that wandered away was at risk of being poached by somebody else. The sheep that wandered away was in danger of ending up in land that didn't have adequate food and water. The sheep that wandered away was in real trouble. So the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes and searches after the one so that the one might be saved of great danger. The one was in need of help. The one was in in danger of destruction. So the shepherd goes after. The woman's coin that is on the floor is in danger of being absolutely wasted. Why are coins printed? Not just to be collected. They are are, are printed, they are minted in order to be used, and a coin that is lost is wasted. And so the woman searches for the coin that it might not be wasted. The coin was in danger of that. You know what? The the analogy holds for those who are lost, who are far from God. They're in need of help. Hell is a real place, and it's the future destination of those who do not know Christ. Not because they're any worse people than anybody else, but because the wages of sin is death. It's either ours, or we trust in what Christ has done for us. And the danger is real. And so we go. And so we seek after the lost. A life that is is not engaged and connected to its creator is a life that is in danger of being wasted. We were created to relate to Him. We were created to be reflections of His glory. We were created to be used in his plans, and if somebody never connects to that, it's like a coin that is rolled under the bed. It's in danger of being wasted, and so we go. See, why is it that God is so passionately pursuing the lost? Why is it that he does not use the found as an excuse? Why does God not just say, you know what? There's been a few hundred million people that have believed in Jesus over the years. I think I'm good. Why does God continue to seek after those in our lives that don't know him? Why is it that God is continuing to seek after you and me? It's because he needs a Kenny. Because we're valuable to him. Because he wants to celebrate the joy of us returning to him. and he invites us to join him in that process. Now, when you begin to, to think about how you might apply this, this message, how you might apply this, this truth, um, it's somewhat overwhelming because we think about, wow, God wants to use us to reach out to those around us that don't know him. Um, at one level that's encouraging, at one level that's exciting, but at one level that's overwhelming because there are many, many people around us that don't know Christ. And sometimes we, it's like, wow, if, if there really was just one that I was going to go after, that seems manageable. But you know what? I look around my life and I just do an inventory of my family and I do an inventory of my my friends, my neighbors, people in my my classes. It's way more than one. It's overwhelming and we want to just kind of shut down and think, wow, God may be interested in bringing people into a relationship with himself, but I have no idea how I might be able to get involved. Well, as we reflect on, on that, I want to challenge you to, to think about this, not in terms of all of the many myriads of people that you might know who don't know Christ, but I want you to think about the one that God wants you to pursue. And as we reflect on that, I want to share with you uh, a presentation that was done by the Hills Church down in the Dallas-Fort Worth area uh, that maybe will help drive home the opportunity that we have to reach out to those around us. for Christ.
2: Stop me if you've heard this one. You grow up, you graduate high school, you attend the best college you can get into, and a few years later you graduate again. You marry the perfect girl and move into a small character building apartment. Over the next couple of years you had a house, a dog, and two-ish children. A perfect start to a picket fence life. Time begins to roll by, your kids grow up, you get involved at your church just like you're supposed to do. And sure, you have opportunities to engage more with the outside world, but it's hard enough to balance your job, church, wife, and two-ish kids. Your life continues speeding along, your children grow up and make you a grandfather. Eventually, you retire and start spending a little too much time in Florida. But it's okay to relax. After two generations, you've impacted the eight lives in your family. Finally, at the end of it all, the Lord calls you home. And it was a good life, right? Work, family, church, because whichever order you put them in, that's all there is, right? What would happen if we shook up that formula? Imagine if we went out of our way to engage with our world, co-workers, neighbors, old friends, and not just engage, disciple. Imagine if we took one year and discipled one person from our world, took a year and truly shared the message of love, salvation, and freedom in Christ to that one person? And what if inside that year, that person started to follow Jesus? But let's not stop there. What if the next year, that person began to disciple someone else, and you did the same thing, and two more people came to know Christ? And what if you did this year after year, person after person, and each of them picked one person year after year, and each of them, and each of them? If this kept going for 30 years, that would mean that 1,073,741,824 people could hear the gospel. That's a little more than eight. The thing is, it's not a joke, and it's not a gimmick. Most importantly, it's not impossible. It's one person boldly making a commitment to bringing one other person to Christ. And it all starts by asking the question, Who's your one?
1: The heart of the Father is for the questioning. The heart of the Father is for the lost. And God wants to use you and me to reach out to those around us this year. Who's your one? Who's the one person that God has laid on your heart to pray for, to initiate with, and to reach out to this year? I challenge you to not just Stop thinking about that because the service is about over. I challenge you to think about that prayerfully this week. By Friday, come up with an answer. Who's your one? And then take some steps of faith to see what God might do over the course of the next year. Because we are people who have been blessed. We have a chance to share that blessing with others. Please stand and join us as we sing.